This is SciBite, episode 82, for February 19th, 2013. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science, news and information podcast. Fresh every Wednesday morning over at jupiterbroadcasting.com and live Tuesday evenings over at jblive.tv. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey Heather, happy science to you. Happy science. All right, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to take a look at the Russian meteorite strike, a dark matter announcement, headaches, the asteroid flyby, viewer feedback, an update on CERN, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. Wow. Big, big topics for this week's episode. And that meteorite strike, that got yes. so much attention this week. All right, Heather. Oh, yes. Let's kick it off with the news. All right, where do we want to begin tonight? All righty. The 2013... Meteorite strike. Actually, somebody in the chat room started off saying, what's the difference? Meteor, meteorite. We see all those meteor showers. Mm-hmm. A meteorite is when it comes down and when it touches the ground, ter- when it hits the terrestrial Earth. So you got a T for terrestrial there. So this one, now, it kind of exploded above before it hit. It didn't ha- hit in one big chunk. Yeah. It exploded into a whole bunch of little chunks and kind of sprayed across this around this uh, Russian city. <laughs> Yeah, I was just commenting before the show started that uh, we were sort of fortunate that it seems to be a big popular trend for uh, Russian dash cams. So we have tons of really cool footage of like the the Russian winter as people are driving around and this massive fireball coming through the sky. And it yeah. Heather almost looks like something from the movies when you see it. Yeah, it shone brighter than the sun. Amazing. Yeah, it was quite large. It was um, above... Uh, Shall All right, I'm going to tr- translate that. Okay. Town as horrible translation. But so if, as you can see from the videos, huge trail left. Yeah. It took about 30 seconds. Um, within about two minutes, two huge bangs. So it's traveling through the atmosphere about 30 seconds before it actually broke apart. And the bangs were it going from the sonic booms. And then it had a violent airburst explosion about uh, 12 miles, 20 kilometers or so above the Earth's surface. Hmm. So any of these, some of these, a lot of these asteroids, should I say, there's different types. There's ones that are big um, iron clumps. There's ones that are just kind of dirt and rock and a whole bunch of stuff melded together, which is what this one was. Right. And when those come through the atmosphere, they burn up. You'll see, you know, smaller ones sometimes if they're the meteorite showers, then it's a little bit of, you know, ice and dust, all that's put together. And, you know, then you see the little meteor trails. Mm-hmm. And then there's sometimes ones that you just sort of out of the blue, you'll see it trail, you know, some sort of meteorite. And it burns up or occasionally it comes in and you actually get, um, you know, a chunk of iron that hits. Now, this one specifically was about... 55 feet, about 17 meters wide. So it blasts about 500 kilotons. 
which is mighty. It was like 500,000 tons of TNT. Huh. 30 times the energy of the Hiroshima atomic bomb. Oh, was it th- really 30 times? Wow. Yes. Oh, wow. And yet, and yet only 5% of the energy from the 1908 Tunguska meteor over Siberia. It downed trees over 2,000 square kilometers. Yeah, I heard of that. I, I don't know if I... I don't know if uh, if I've ever seen any pictures from that, but it was essentially, it's hard to imagine a thousand, did you say a thousand square miles of uh, flattened trees? I mean, it's, it was a thousand mile stretch or something like that, right? It was this- Yeah, 2,000 square kilometers. Two thousand, so, oh, geez. Roughly. All just flattened. I mean, that we've never seen yes. anything like that in our lifetime. So uh, that kind of puts it in perspective how big this was. Yeah, this was a the biggest in a hundred years. Now, they think that this one was about you know, it's 50 feet. So a lot of people were, you know, questioning, well, how come we didn't see this? Mm. Giant meteor explodes over Russia. How come we didn't see that coming? <laughs> how did we not see that one, huh? Well, yeah. we've, you know, uh, we've, we've heard a lot of talk recently about uh, close flying objects. So I guess people kind yes. of just assume that we must have an eye on everything in the sky. Oh, and goodness gracious, we do not. <laughs> there are, I mean, we track thousands of larger object, of larger asteroids. There's probably about 100 million of them about the size that this one was. About 100,000 being near enough to Earth to ever really cross our orbit. But most of these meteor, meteors tend, the meteorites that hit Earth tend to be on the smaller side. So when they're out in space, you know, orbiting the sun or coming close to Earth, they only reflect about a couple percent of the light that hits them. So they're small. They don't reflect much light. So it's like watching a kid across the street throw a pebble to another kid. Did you see that? In the dark. <laughs> In the dark. No, maybe not. Now, occasionally that kid's going to throw it at you. Did you see it then? Not until it was like six inches away from your eye and you went, oh, no. Bonk. Yeah, exactly. Bonk. So it's when those times. The there's only been one time where we've actually seen a asteroid before it actually went to hit the Earth, and that just happened to be pure coincidence. Somebody <laughs> spotted it. I mean, six hours before it hit. <laughs> it's just sort of there's a lot of amateur astronomers out there and a lot of different telescopes watching and trying to locate as many asteroids as they can. Well, so like Nexstar is asking the chat room, NASA tracks these, right? But they're tracking ones of a certain size and larger that they are able to detect, right? Because if these things are hard to see in the dark and all this kind of stuff, they're only going to be able to see like the bigger ones then, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I should have found there's a video of essentially it's, you know, here's all the planets and then where's the asteroids that we know where they are. And it starts off a very low number. And then as we add new telescopes and things, you can see it like as the Earth drives you know, essentially drives by the various, the asteroid belt with whole, a whole bunch of new ones pop up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's as we're getting better and better telescope, telescopes and... We just see more and more. <laughs> equipment. We can see more and more. Right. However, some of these are small. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are in the asteroid belt or randomly whipping around and they are very small and they are not very bright. So it is incredibly difficult to track or even spot these. I mean, technically, this one was uh, fairly small as it comes mm-hmm. to these. So, 
We exploded. We there was some damage on the ground. Yeah, there was like uh, what, like about a thousand a thousand people were injured, weren't they? It, it, there was yeah, some, and property yeah. damage too, of course. Yes, yeah, so well, a lot of it came from over three hundred buildings uh, were damaged, schools, hospitals, a zinc factory, which was one of the major things cause that had a partial uh, roof collapse. Yeah, but mainly it was windows crashing. It was just all the windows just essentially blew out and doors blown open from the explode from when it, when they, from the impact, right? Yes, and so a lot of this was, uh, you know, glass shattering and hitting people. And so many of the injuries were based on that. There's wow. a whole bunch of, I mean, it is the deep winter, as you were saying. So is it incredibly cold temperatures? So there's a lot of effort going on now to try to fix as many windows as they can as quickly as possible, bringing in all sorts of different people from the region. In the meantime, people are taping up plastic and cardboard and whatever they can above their over their window to keep out some of the cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Lennox King, uh, percussive damage. But, so it's fun, it, it, it's one of these things where you don't, you literally don't see something like this very often. This is, you know, it's been a hundred years since the last one. And even when we see, you know, these fireballs that come along occasionally, mm-hmm. I remember sometime within the last year, they were being over uh, California where they were trying to track it and see. Yeah. And I've heard there was, find. during the summer, there was a, uh, the, uh, a local Austin, uh, news chain was uh was running a story about a bunch that were spotted over texas so i know that you know we get them from time to time here in the states too it's not yes yeah oh yeah you get them all across the world now the earth is two-thirds water yeah so a lot of times these things will happen over water but the fact that this one was so large and over you know ground made it it has all these dash cams you can see all this these amazing videos and it all happened so fast I mean, that happened, and how fast is it before it's up on YouTube, and I'm watching it, and you're watching it, and somebody in who knows where else in the world is watching it. So now they're going through, and they're trying to figure out, one, gather up pieces, uh, meteorite pieces that may have hit the ground. Because it exploded, There are so far the pieces that they're quote-unquote finding are anything from, you know, Tiny pebbles to mm-hmm. maybe an inch, a mm-hmm. couple centimeters. So, and there's a whole bunch of different scientists and from all over the world trying to go in and be like, excuse me, Russia, knock, knock, knock. Can we please look at it? And so there's a whole bunch of these, you know, random people that are going out and they're picking up, you know, rocks that they see or some news thing about some kids playing out in the snow. And it's like, Run and see, hey, there's a hole in the snow. Dig, dig, dig. <laughs> I found a rock. It's yeah. part of a meteor. Hold it in the air. But, yeah, they're, they're already running tests on these things. They're already, like, yes. you know, getting, out, getting all the components and stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, you were just commenting about uh, about how fast all this moves. So they, they are, uh, you know, you have all of this coverage. They're already going out and collecting the rocks. They're already co- running the analysis on them. I mean, it all happens like within the span of, I mean, this only happened last Friday, <laughs> you, yep. you know, I mean, it's within, just blows my mind. I forget how many hours, but within hours, people were putting things on eBay, on Craigslist, <laughs> on trying to Make a buy things that you didn't really know what it is. Yeah. How do you They're know? Like, you there's be... actually one, was it eBay or Craigslist listening that said, part of asteroid, buy it now. Finer print. 
okay, I don't really know what this is. I mean, there's already there's been for forever. Well, not forever, but <clears throat> since the moonwalk, there's been fake moon rocks floating around for sale. Yep. So. Yep. Now I've seen. I'm not quite sure how true it is because I haven't been able to completely verify it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Russia has specific rules about gathering meteorites and selling them. That you're oh. not allowed to sell them until you um, put them up for, you know, analysis, specific labs, and then the lab gets a cut from whatever you sell it for. Wow. So I haven't been able to necessarily, you know, back that up with actual claims that I've been able to see from That's interesting. Russia, but a number of different uh, news sources actually stated that. Huh, okay. Didn't know that. So I'm not... Like I said, I'm not entirely sure how factual that is, but it is an interesting thing. And there were a number of different locals who either kind of quickly reneged on admitting that they had anything Mm. to selling anything to (laughs) apparently some new station was, you know, interviewing somebody and they kind of reneged real quickly. And it's like, no. And even if I did, I don't know if I'd uh, turn them in because I don't know if whoever I turned it into would actually admit that I gave it to them. Hmm. It's like, I don't know. I don't trust, I don't trust the, the police or the local government or whatever shake fist in there. So it's kind of interesting about how things are going along and how we will actually, how quickly as many of these pieces can be tested. There was one 20 foot, some hole, perfectly circular hole in a frozen lake. Yeah, and yeah, there was yeah. immediately some coverage about would that, you know, is that a piece? Now, if it was, it would it be, was it a little under a foot to two foot? So a little less than uh, it was half like a meter. A, yeah, but it was a really nice hole. And, and, and oh, one yeah, of the but theories... that would be the size of the rock that would have had to hit it to make that hole. Now, they've had a number of, you know, scuba divers and things go down and try to find it. They haven't found any rock yet. So then there was some question about, is it really from that? Is it mm. from something else? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, because some people think that wouldn't if it hit it like that, wouldn't it have you know caused quite a bit of water to kick up and break even more ice? Yeah, it's certainly possible, and it's and how, who knows, right? But yeah, it is it. That was one of the uh, oh there it is. I just found a picture of it. There, that is one of the ones that I saw that and I thought oh, that looks a little. I don't know. That's weird, but you know, if it's a small little rock, it made a pretty big hole. I mean, it's yeah, a pretty well, big hole. It's coming in at a fairly fast pace, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I think a lot of people thought it would have like caused a lot of water to, you know, kind of blow up a little bit. Yeah. Well, if also you think about it, a couple of these, as we've had one woman that was, you know, quote unquote, hit by a meteorite. You know, it banged off one or two things in her house and hit her. She ended up with a big bruise, <laughs> ouch, but ouch. There was somebody else who, some, a piece of a satellite foaming, essentially, that as it went into orbit, some of it came down and it, you know, hit her and it was pretty much nothing. She didn't really know what was happening. I mean, it doesn't, by the time it gets to Earth, it has lost a lot of its energy. Now, something big enough to make that hole would come in fairly fast and smash it. But think about it, a whole bunch of these little pebbles just kind of buried themselves in, in the snow. I yeah. saw, yeah. you know, one story about a decent, you know, s- a small rock. I don't know how big they said, you know, came through some woman's roof. 
And then, you know, somebody knocks on the door. Hey, can I have, can I have that? She's like, um, I'll give you 60 bucks. Okay. And then like five minutes later, something comes around. Hey, do you have one? I'll pay you, you know, 1500 bucks for it. And then she's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have sold it. Wow. Maybe I should have just kept it for myself. Or just give him a rock and say, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Take one out of the fish tank. <laughs> yeah. Shake did it you, off. Did you hear that uh, uh, his name was uh, Vladimir Zernovsky, I believe, uh, and he's the leader of the uh, Russian Liberal Party, and he actually blamed the meteor shower on the U.S. as a secret arms test? <laughs> <laughs> How great is that? And he says- there, Oh, gosh. What was I was reading somewhere where there is a, <clears throat> you know, there's a network, you know, watching for specific, you know- explosions of a certain size and a whole bunch of these different networks and it's like they immediately spotted it and there are I believe I was kind of led to believe between the lines that there are contingency plans to make sure that it is located as this is a meteor this is not anyone attacking you please do not attack us yeah no kidding right we we don't want a meteorite to start off World War Three. And actually, that's what I saw in some of the uh, you know like people on the street interviews that they translated. They said, "Well, at first we thought it was a bomb. We thought we were under attack." And you know what? Honestly, if I saw that striking through the sky and the way that thing hit, I mean, I don't think my first thought would be meteorite. I think my first thought might be drone attack. I don't know what it would be, but it'd yeah. be like some sort of. I, I think I think I would think it's a some sort of attack too. Well, how many people have seen that? You'd have to be over 100 years old to see anything this size before. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true, right? So, you know, even then, you'd be like, I remember in my rocking, you know, my mother rocking me and I right. saw something about, no. Yeah. It's, it's been a very long time since yeah. anything this large. It's just not on the, it's not on the forefront of my mind, although it, it probably will be a little more now. Yes, that's one of the other things is now there's a huge uproar to... How come we can't see it? We need to be watching more. We need to put more money into these things. Yeah, There are various satellites that are looking for similar things of this nature. They're looking for rockets, you know, um, and, and such that can be used for looking at this too. How much of a warning system can you get? Hey, everybody, you have 45 seconds to duck and cover. Right. And hope for the best, by the way. We've detected a meteorite entering the atmosphere, and it should be like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really. Now, if this one had been iron, it would have been bye-bye town. It was like, because it would be more dense and it have a... Yes, it wouldn't have broken apart. It would have been one big iron chunk flung as our, you know, flung at the earth. You know, you're throwing a rock at the dirt. Now you see the little crater that you make instead of, you know, clumping together some mud and dirt and throwing it and kind of comes apart before you hit the ground. So, we shall see. Yeah, yeah. But, hmm. so now there's, you know, a push to make other scientific data, um, release it, make it unclassified so that people mm. can can share and there are a whole bunch of, you know, military assets that are there that actually can be, say, oh, yes, we see that, but we're not really allowed to tell you. Mm-hmm. Oh, so there's some some push for that, and then it also goes back, and now we have to look back and say, all right, out of all the observations we've had, let's go backwards and see, did we see that before, and we just didn't realize we saw it before? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting aspect. All I didn't even consider. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of data that's coming in now that you know 
you're not going to look at it. You're not going to blast through it all until, you know, over a period of weeks. So Absolutely. All right. Very great. Well, thanks for the update on that, Heather, because I've been curious about that all, well, I guess it hasn't been all week. It's only been since Friday, but it feels like it's been a long time because everybody's been talking about it. So yes. now, folks, uh, if you uh, if you get uh, struck up in a conversation where this comes up or uh, you want to find out a little bit more for yourself, go check out Heather's awesome show notes, tons of videos of that of the meteorites coming in, which is really cool to watch. Uh, she's got uh, news stories, links to information, all kinds of uh, things. Also, some common questions that have been asked. So check out those links. Uh, but Heather, why don't we take a little pause right here and cover some of the picks that you've made this week? Because, well, uh, two out of three, I'm going to be buying. Yeah. At least at least two out of three. All right. So okay. first, if uh, you out there want to help support the SciBite program, well, don't forget we have an affiliate system. Those are linked at the bottom of Jupiter Broadcasting. Or if you use the uh, extension, or if you click these links in our show notes, and we'll have our specific picks in the show notes for this week. And the first one up, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 3 is coming to Blu-ray at the end of April. Yay. Season 1 and 2 have been phenomenal. Yes. I, I'm really, really impressed with what they've done with this. And in, in, in both seasons, they kind of went out of their way, at least with, you know, one particular thing that, like, is only on this set. Like, on the season two, it was some extended episode stuff and some restored mm -hmm. uh, behind-the-scenes uh, um, bloopers and things like that. Uh, I don't know what it is in season three, but I'll tell you, if, if you know, it runs 90 bucks. Yeah. And if 90 bucks is too rich for your blood, they're also making uh, just the best of both worlds available as a Blu-ray for $16.00. And uh, they have a trailer out. If you guys, if you're a big uh, Next Generation fan and you remember the best of both worlds, because it was like the, you know, the best season yeah. you know, finale ever, uh, you can watch the trailer to this sucker. It is awesome. It looks so great. They've basically made a modern day trailer out of clips from this old remastered episode of Star Trek. Wow. It looks like something that how they would promote, like if that episode was going to air tomorrow. I mean, it's oh, so wow. awesome. And it just makes you want to rewatch the whole thing all over again. And it looks incredible. They, they've fixed some of the sizing issues they had with the original board cube. They've added a ton of more uh, in interesting shots to some of the interiors to the cube. They've really cleaned up the Enterprise. The battle scenes, although they look like they belong, they're so, 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 so much better looking. And they line the ships up, ships up more properly. I mean, it's really... Oh, I cannot rave about it enough. So if you only pick up one of them, get best of both worlds. It'll be 16 bucks, and we'll have that linked in the show notes. And one last little mention here, because uh, Heather, I think uh, I, I didn't realize you were a Game of Thrones fan, but you said you were watching yes. season one, right? I've uh, gone through one, and I'm in the middle of two right now. And that's on Blu-ray. That's available right now. Yes, it is. This seems like a great way to go if you don't have HBO, but you're still interested in watching the show and you want to see it in high fidelity. Get it in Blu-ray. Yeah. So we'll have all three of those linked in the show notes. And if you grab those, you support the Side by Program and the Jupiter Broadcasting Network and help us keep the lights on. And you know what? I got to tell you, when you're doing shows, it's good to have lights. Yep. Most of the time. Yeah. All right, Heather, it's time for the news bite. Something where lights aren't necessarily needed. Dark matter. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I had to, I had to go that way. <laughs> All so, right. dark matter, it's kind of the stuff that makes up for what we don't see. So, we the way we th see things working, there has to be a certain amount of mass. You know, we see uni you know, spiral galaxies or other galaxies rotate around. Now, if it only consisted of the mass that we see, the momentum and the movement doesn't match up. 
So it's like there needs to be more there for it to actually rotate in the way that we see it. So we started coming up about 80 years ago. This was come. This was brought about because of that. So sorry, dark matter theory saying, all right, well, maybe there is something there that we can't see that right, allows right. the forces of gravity to hold them together. And this always sounded like uh, like so, it's hokey. It almost sounded hokey to me. Like this is so unscientific in a way. Like, well, we it almost sounded like faith in a, in a sense. Well, we're just we're just taking faith that there must be something there because everything else checks out. And even though we can't validate this part of the math, all this other math adds up. So this variable must be exist. Yeah, I mean, as far as we can see, there's the standard model of physics, which is sort of identifies particles and forces to kind of regulate our everyday life. But when you go on to the really large scale, the galactic scale, then what we see only makes up for, to make sense of everything, it would only make up for like 5% of the matter, the mass out there. So dark matter would be like 23%. Dark energy Hmm. would be, which is sort of this weird force that we're putting together that kind of is driving the expansion of the universe, driving everything, moving away from each other Mm -hmm. as we're accelerating. So that would be 72 to 73% of the energy in the universe. So kind of working back and there are they're working towards scientific you know analysis of what this could be you know if it was there then maybe it's made of what they call wimps weakly interacting massive particles so these sort of particles that they're their own antimatter particle huh. oh so really? we have antimatter is real so we have you know protons and electrons you know sort of anti each other but this would be Essentially, when matter and antimatter meet, they annihilate each other. So if these two wimps collide, they would be destroyed and release a pair of another pair of particles, say an electron and a proton. I mean, the positron. So we kind of look at like, okay, so should this happen, we would see this kind of evidence. But in about two weeks, they're saying there is some first paper results coming from the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. It is a particle, it collects particles mounted on the outside of the space station. Oh, wow. And it's actually, they've actually said that it's going, the, what's in the paper is going to bear results on dark matter and it'll be, quote, not a minor paper. That They actually rewrote it 30 times before they were satisfied enough to submit it. Now, as always with science, we must pause, even if it's a major announcement, they still say it's going to be a quote-unquote small step in figuring out what's there. It's not going to be the final answer, but they're thinking it's kind of moving in the right direction. So, it is looking for these cosmic particles. We have different things to do that. The Large Hadron Collider looks at these. Mm-hmm. There's a South Pole Neutrino Observatory. Looks for, you know, neutrinos. So the, and the alpha magnetic spectrometer on the space station. So these are all looking for very high energy cosmic power particles. So the one on the space station actually has the ability to detect positrons and electrons that would be produced by that dark matter annihilation. And it has detected 25 billion particle events, about 8 billion electrons and positrons. So this paper is going to sort of 
say how many of each were found and what energies they were. So what it comes down to is if it shows an abundance of positrons at a specific energy, then that could indicate some dark matter if there is an imbalance. You know, so you have positrons and electrons, and if there are more than one in a specific energy, specific energy, then you're starting to say, well, there is something there. It matches up our theory about what this kind of dark matter would be like. Now we're kind of walking down that path. So, Fascinating. Yeah, and then on top of that, if we see it, then it's where is it coming from? Is it comes from one specific point in space or from everywhere around us? If it's from one specific place, then maybe it's a star explosion or some other sort of, you know, astronomical process. But if it's coming from everywhere, then that would kind of match up with dark matter as well because that would kind of be spread evenly throughout space. So it would originate from... A whole bunch of different directions. Hmm. So we're saying that, okay, what's the ratio of these type of particles? Where are they coming from? And if it's you know a certain ratio and it's coming from all over, then it's matching up with our theories of what dark matter would be. Now, regardless of whatever the announcement actually says, is they're expecting information about it to be much clearer. So like, well, something about... So they're, but they're announcing that they're going to make that announcement. Yeah, this is okay. an announcement of an announcement, yeah. which science loves. It's like, hey, guys, in two weeks, we're going to say something possibly really cool to certain science people. And the rest of you may care, too. Well, I think that... <clears throat> hmm. Usually, if you're going to... If you pre-announce an announcement, it's because you got something big. Yeah. Now... We've had this before. Yeah. Where was it the Curiosity rover had their, you know, huge big announcement and then they were like, Oh wait, we really did mean it was that big. We're not seeing yeah. anything crawling around on the face of Mars. Yeah, that was interesting. I almost I almost wonder what that was about. You know, it's just somebody being really excited. I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can be really excited about what's in my, you know, what was the results from my test today. And I could be like telling you, and you might think it was the greatest thing since sliced <laughs> bread. And in reality, it's just something I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow you. Hm. But on the other hand, we had the CERN announcement, you know, Higgs bosons mm -hmm. a while back where they're like, oh, hey, we have a pretty big announcement. And it was them saying, hey, we see some evidence that goes along with the Higgs boson. It's something that's only in theory before, but a whole bunch of this data is starting to line up. And then over the course of months, and they say, yes, it keeps lining up. Yes, it keeps lining up. Mm-hmm. Things are looking more and more real. So this may be on that kind of a track where they say, hey, we have some data that's lining up in the right direction. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep checking this data. And over the course of months and years, then we may be, be able to narrow it down about what's going on, where it's going on. Then we'll have a better idea of are our theories correct or do we need a brand new theory about what dark matter may or may not be or an alternative to it? Well, you know, if they come out <clears throat> with something pretty big, that looks like they've figured a few things out. That's going to be some pretty major discoveries we've, we've watched happen just during the run of this show. Oh, yeah. And either way, of course, I'll... In two right, you let weeks. us know? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be talking about it here. Okay. But. All right. Okay. You keep us posted, Heather. With yes. that story filed, let's move on to the two... What? No, we already did that. The two-bite news. There we go. Every now and then you got to prod the band. 
I might I might fire the singers. I think the band's all right. Sometimes they play the wrong song. Those singers? Yeah, I think it, it, the singers may have thrown the band off. Yeah, I, I think it was the singers. All right, Heather. What do we got in the two-byte news? All right. Lightning and headaches. Okay. So a new study has found that 31%, there's a 31% increase in the risk of headaches and a 28% risk of migraines for chronic headache sufferers on days that lightning strikes within about 25 miles, 40 kilometers of their house. I couldn't tell you why, but that actually doesn't surprise me. Yes. Now, we've seen, I've seen celery like this before where it's, you know, there is an electrical storm and you can smell something or you can smell a storm coming. Mm-hmm. But this is actually says that, you know, there is a fairly in- significant increase in new onset headaches. So this is the first study to actually correlate lightning uh, in the associated weather to what's happening in our heads. Hmm. Now, do they know exactly how? No, not really. There are a couple of ideas that they have. Okay. That are electric magnetic waves emitted from lightning could actually help trigger headaches. Or perhaps something in the lightning process increases air pollutants or the ozone and it fungal score spores or some some combination of events in the atmosphere itself that could help trigger migraines and headaches as well. So they have the scientific evidence to say so. Now they've got to figure out a study to figure out why and the how. That's really fascinating. Uh, yeah, I wonder, or I wonder if it could be like a maybe like a pressure thing. I don't know. Like, is mm-hmm. there like a Com- yeah. yeah combination of what the you know how the storm is set up to allow lightning? Is there you know the pressure, the ozone, the charges right. or yeah. Yeah, what does it, lightning actually do does it inter- does it affect the atmosphere in some other way that triggers things or you almost have to believe it's a combination of of, of multiple things oh it's got to be a combination of a variety of different things so uh speaking of meteorites and 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 uh things like that we yes. had uh that big asteroid flyby on the 15th yes on the same day as- but they were unrelated Completely and like, totally unrelated. Big I, boy didn't bring like a couple little friends with him, and and they no, and they, they came from off. completely different directions. They tweeted a- on that day. I was like, they ha- the only thing they have in common is I'll talk about them on Sidebite. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's what I typed. Literally, not word for word, but yes, yeah, so I was like, the only thing they have in common, Sidebite. That really, uh, uh, that's pretty big coincidence, actually. Yes, which is. It was kind of fortuitous in the fact that everyone freaked out. It kind of reminds you how we really have just like, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen anytime? Because we go, we go, how we go a hundred years without anything like that, and then all of a sudden we have this huge flyby on the, and then on that same day we also get struck. So we had two different rocks coming yeah. at us at the same time. Yeah. Now that was, you know, the closest approach. To an object that side. It was about roughly half a football field across. So That's a big rock. Yeah. Now, some people worried about the space station because it came, I think, very closer inside the orbit of the space station. Ooh. Now, it didn't, didn't pose no danger to... close. Yeah, it posed no danger to them. They didn't even have a chance to observe it. Um, in fact, no NASA space station assets were actually making measures of it. Because it was moving so fast. 
It was, you know, somebody throws a rock by like, you know, four or five inches away from your head. You're not going to really bother trying to take a picture of that with your camera. Mm-hmm. You're like, nope, very unlikely I'm going to catch that one. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of ground instruments trying to take pictures of it. There were a number of people. There is a radar observation that actually I just saw the video that it came out today. So they had, you know, the radar was planning to take images for about eight hours after the flyby as well from a uh, antenna in California Mojave Desert. Kind of looks like a potato. Most asteroids are potato-ish. Yeah. A I just wish very, we could go very up there large and- chunk are potato, quasi- scary mutated potato shapes right killer potato from space shape yes i just wish we could go up there and land on it i mean maybe not this one because it was going so fast but one of these one of these days would be great to and i know some of the google guys are working on a project to do this but to go up there and not as part of google it's one of their own ventures to land on one of those things would be so cool yeah well there's been a number of talk in the last few years about asteroid mining i believe i've talked about you know, one or two different ventures on this show actually mm-hmm, to say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hey, let's, you know, if we have an idea, let's go out, let's, let's mine something on there. Now, theoretically, that would be something more with a more stable orbit and not shooting by us, like going far, far, far too fast for us to really feel comfortable, that I would feel comfortable trying to land anything on that right now. But so thinking, so th- those people came out again and said, hey, you know, they kind of gave an estimate of, Hey, we think it was made of this. It would have been worth this many dollars, you know, you know, this many millions of dollars or thousands of dollars. And so, hey, we really need to go out there and do this stuff because they're right here. They're squizzing right behind us, in front of us and smacking into us now. But it gives you a really big idea of there are a lot of asteroids out there. They are going all about space all around us, near us. They could be, you know, so uh, what, what Heather's trying to say without sounding uh, uh, down about it is make the best of what you got now. Because <laughs> there's a lot of rocks out there. And, you know, th- thankfully... There are people tirelessly, look, tirelessly looking for these things. Right. You will never know. They're in some observatory, you know, with a right. bunch of their friends. And their whole plan is to find as many asteroids as they can. And, and, and that, that's, that's, their, that's their free time. And so far... The worst that happens is we get to talk about them here on Sci-Bi. Well, and if you're in Russia, you, you some people got banged up. But yeah, I mean, you have to buy a new window. There's part of a yeah. you know factory that got collapsed. But the upside is we talked about it on Sci-Bi, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel bad and be all happy about it now. Okay, all right. Why don't we move okay. on to some viewer feedback to get away from that? Okay. All right. What do we got? All right. This is actually one of those strange weeks where I get two people write again about nearly the same thing. I like that. Yes. I have Jason Null, who is asking me what kind of a program or software that has sort of a virtual model of the Earth and the moon to kind of get a better idea of, you know, how they're interacting and all that kind of thing. Wow. So, actually, I found a handful of free Java simulators on online. They kind of give you a, a head start, at least. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yep. That's neat. So it's like a little sphere, a little, you know, stick figure sphere. And you can say, you know, sliding bars back and forth saying what kind of a day, what part of the day, what type of, you know, what part of the moon phase, sort of rolling through these to give you an idea of what their paths actually are. Yeah. 
And there's, you know, two that I put up there. Another one that actually you can sort of dial into your latitude. And it'll kind of tilt, oh. you know, tilt the uh, the sun's orbit, you know, that plane sort of closer to where you actually are. So uh, these are really neat. So now I know what I'm going to be doing after the show. I'm playing with both of these. <laughs> yeah, there were a number of them that I found, but those two were kind of the the niftiest of, of the bunch. So, you know, and somebody else actually asked as well um, where they mentioned that they were in Sweden mm-hmm. and they saw, they said they seemed to see the moon up in the sky. Uh, Jason, no, oh goodness, I pasted the wrong name again. Uh, sort of asking, I see the moon up in the sky a lot. Is it just because I'm in Sweden? Am I just catching it in the right time of day? Yeah. So you kind of dial in to that one simulator kind of bringing it up to a higher latitude, which essentially means, if you think about it, the higher altitude you have, the sort of longer days and longer nights you have. It's because the moon and the sun, their orbit is a sphere. It's like a hula hoop around the Earth. So they're going to follow the same path. It's just that the moon moves at a very different rate than the sun. So it orbits much so much slower. So it takes a long time for them to sort of match up again and give us a solar eclipse. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see that and say when the when you're at a very high altitude, then the sun and the moon are much lower. You know, essentially if you're on the North Pole, the sun is always on the horizon type thing. So if you're most of the way up there, if you're at, you know, Sweden is 65 to 75-ish um, degrees north latitude. So... It's very high, so you'll have the sun and the moon on a very low tilt to to the horizon. So if the sun's going to be up for a very long time, it gives the moon a chance to be up that long as well. And I mean, if you think about it, you step back, you're out of you know you're out of night, you don't see the moon. Then the moon moon rises at you know nine ten p.m. or whatever it is. It's rising because it just set for somebody on the daytime side. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is going to work and they say they see the moon setting. Then you see the moon rising. So it could just be a lot of fortuitous luck that you happen to see the moon up a lot. And it could be... Because you live on a mountain. Maybe you live on a mountain. I don't know. You're not climbing a mountain to see the moon. Oh. I mean, if I don't climb... So I can't climb like all the way to the top of a mountain and and sit out of the atmosphere and look at the moon. Because I've seen... Oh, dang it. That ruins my travel plans for the summer, Heather. Okay, you certainly climb a mountain and see the moon, but <laughs> your ability, well, you know, if you breathe, that's good. You know, so you're able to breathe. I then, was making a joke that I could climb outside the atmosphere just by going really high on a mountain. That's all. Yeah, that's what I was kind of looping <clears throat> yeah, back around no, to. Is yeah, that, yeah. yeah, if you could breathe, that would be handy. If you can't yeah, breathe, you're yeah. not going to be seeing much of the moon. No, oh, good point. Good point. Yeah, sorry about that. All right, well, uh, you can email the show, SciByte, at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or hit that contact link and submit a, a little form when you select SciByte from the dropdown, and uh, it goes right into the SciByte inbox. Hey, Heather, guess what? Yes. We got hey, some what? stories that have leveled up with some updates. That's right. Mentioned earlier, CERN, the Higgs boson, the giant Hadron Collider. They gave us, this was the instrument that gave us all the Higgs boson news, and, you know, there was some talk of, Yes, we need to get this. We need to get these measurements in, get all the readings, get all the data. 
because we are going down for I remember upgrades. that. Yep. I remember you talking about that. Now, just seven months after the big announcement, they are now, you know, 99.9% certain that what they see is the Higgs boson, but now needs to go down for an 18-month period upgrade. Oh, geez. Uh, right now? Yes. But well, I want to know about the Higgs boson. Well, we're pretty sure. And the actual upgrades will, it will boost the energy capacity that we're able to see. Mm. And that will actually be really essential to confirm that the boson that it sees is the Higgs boson. Well, so it'll allow sense. us to probe new dimensions of you know, physics and science to see what else is there, give us a better idea of you know, the particle that we are seeing. So it goes down about every three years. They, they bring it down, they give it some upgrades, then they go back. That, that makes sense. And really, they have a lot of information to go through. They did from the last three years. They're, it's going to take them at least a year to try to go through all that stuff. Ah, great point. So they're down for 18 months, but that is just new measurements coming in. It gives them a chance to catch up on everything that's been going on. So it's like you're cramming for a test. You know, you have this really busy class, and now you're going to be down for a little while, but you have a lot of homework that you need to go back and do. Well, a lot of reading that you need to do. Do you think it's possible that we would get some sort of news announcement during that time since they'd be going through the data? Oh, it's certainly possible. Huh. I mean, you go through and, you know, you know, it's always the data in the data we talk about in astronomy sometimes where they go back and they say, hey, actually, mm -hmm. we see that these type of stars are doing this. Or we see that this star is actually blinking. We think there's a planet there. So now a great deal of the data. Uh, the data that will come out might not be as interesting to everyone. Now, the big thing was okay. the Higgs boson. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of that, a lot of that data was being chugged through pretty quick. Right. You know, they're going to be able to go back and look at some more data and be like, "Yes, we're even we're even more sure and happy and joyful and have our party hats on." Hmm. Now, a lot of the other data that might be there, a lot of people might not care so much about. It's not going to be top story news events. Yeah. 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 You're probably right. But they've interesting been, to them, probably not so interesting to the general public. Yeah, I mean, you know, might be interesting to me, but nothing as big history textbook as the Higgs boson, mm -hmm. most likely. So I've been increasing the the voltages that we were able to see, um, seven tera electron volts, eight tera electron volts. Now it'll be, by the time we get back to 2015, it'll be up to 13 or 14. Hmm. So, and that'll run to three or four years. Hmm. And then they'll bring it down for 18 months and give us give more upgrades. So that's kind of the, the rotation that happens. Very good. All right, Heather, then let's swing in to a spacecraft update. Now, this one was breaking today, wasn't it? I think I heard of this around, oh boy, in the morning time today. Yes, actually, I heard it on the radio coming home, and I went, hmm, came home, search, find a story or two. Pasted in this show doc because guess what? We didn't couldn't call the space station for three hours this morning. Yeah, NASA officially lost contact with the space station for yes. for a little while. Yes, it was. All they were doing is they were upgrading some software. So they're in the process of updating the station's command and control software and transitioning from the primary computer to the backup computer. 
and doing a software load. I see. And Blame the IT guy. Blame it on IT. I see. Yep. Sorry. They totally blamed it on IT. <laughs> Super blamed it on IT. And actually, one thing that I guess that was kind of interesting is they maintained contact with uh, an outpost in Russia. Yes, they were actually able to essentially call up Russia, and when it was in, in the, the right. skies above Russia, right, right. then they were able to make a call up and say, hey guys, plug in the backup, quick. <laughs> well, we gotta go right back. And then they would come back around, okay guys, did you plug it? And they'd go back around again. Yeah, it was, but yeah, so they were... Tensions were high. It was actually it was actually uh, one of the lead stories on Wolf yes. Blitzer's Situation Room uh, this morning when he went on the air. Yeah, and I think the first message back from the space station was essentially, "Hey guys, everything's fine. We're fine. <laughs> we're 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 just doing our morning routine." And like actually, it was kind of nice not to be bothered. Uh, yeah, we, have, like, like, we got a lot of work done this morning. Really, we, we kind of noticed partway through the morning, man. We got a lot of work done. Why? Oh, nobody's called. Nobody's called for a little while. Hmm. Those are my most productive mornings myself, so I can only imagine that's how it is even up in space. Yeah. All right, Heather. Well, now that we're up in space, why don't we go over to Mars and do a curiosity update? Go. And lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. <laughs> All right. So what's the what's the rover up to? Already, we've been talking about it drilling into rocks the last couple of weeks. Yeah. It is the first rover, as you may have heard me say, that has actually been able to drill into something. Mm-hmm. You know, drill down about two inches. So we're able to see all the dust in the interior of this rock that came up. Now, what's interesting is that it's very gray. It's a very different color from the outside of the rock. Oh. So that definitely tells us that there is a combination of some sort of weathering on the outside or there's different, you know, material looking, you know, back in history essentially into the depths of the rock, but there is very different things going on. So they were able to go through and shoot their lasers. Ooh. The, yes, and take the uh, KimCam to do you know, spe- spe- spectrographic analysis, you know, do it of the rock, the rock face, do it of the piles of dust around it to kind of, the you know the fresh rock powder to kind of get a, a better idea of what's going on quickly. Right. So in the coming weeks, uh, next couple weeks, they're going to try to do more with this hole. They're going to try to collect some of that gray powder to bring it on to some of the onboard instrumentation, get a better idea of exactly what's going on, what's the difference between the interior and the exterior. Mm. Get down to the bottom of those rocks by drilling into them. Yes. Well... I would be curious to see what they find out, especially when you come on here and tell me they have found uh, signs of bacteria and uh, poop, pro- uh, maybe old fish skeletons. You, you keep looking for that. Okay. All right. Well, it might the, be a little while. In the meantime, you know what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to jump in the time machine. You ready to go? All right. Hold on. All okay, right. okay. I'm in. Here we go. Okay. Buckle up this time. I did. almost left me. Yeah, I even installed these handles here, but we didn't really need them for going to 51 years ago. So this takes us to February 20th, 1962. Heather, what happened this week in science? John Glenn piloted the Mercury Atlas VI Friendship 7 spacecraft (laughs) on the first U.S. manned orbital mission. Now, the actual first just plain manned orbital mission was Yuri Gagarin in April of 1961. Right, right, right. But the U.S. got there in February 1962. Not bad. February 1962 was, uh, boy, they were, 
They were uh, what? What was it? So did we go to the moon in the first time in '69? Yes. That right. So they were uh, they were working towards it at, a, at an amazing pace back then, inventing yeah. it as they went, which is incredible if you think about it. Yep, we did three orbits around the Earth. You know, seventeen thousand and a half miles per hour. Wow. Actually, saw what I found was interesting as I read here was when he spotted Perth, Australia. Mm-hmm. All the city's residents had gathered together, and they switched on and off their house lights, like everybody in unison. <sighs> Oh, Perth so is so cool. So that's how they greeted him. They're like, off, on, off, Wonder on. How did they do that in 1962? The phone, maybe, I guess? The radio. <laughs> it must have been over the radio or the TV. Maybe it was over like a broadcast. It had yeah, to been radio. Yeah. And then at a certain point, anyone who doesn't have a radio can see the lights flashing in town. Be like, oh, I want to join in. Could people... Were people able to communicate before the internet? I'm not sure how that works, to be honest with you, Heather. So. I think they were. Okay. All right. I'm not sure. Well, that's that's amazing. Wow. It's 51 years ago. That's really actually not that long ago that we were doing that. Yep. All right. Well, now let's recalibrate the side by 2000 and look up into the sky this week. All righty. Kind of a quiet week in, uh, in the astronomy looking up this week. We've got in the early twilight, looked the west and southwest. The brightest object in that part of the sky is going to be Mercury. Now, Mars is getting kind of harder to see as we as it gets farther and farther into the sunset. Hmm. So, but if you look farther to Mercury's lower right, you might be able to see it. Now, Jupiter is starting in the south at dusk, moving to the southwest and then setting around 1 to 2 a.m. And Saturn, about 11 to 12 p.m. local time, is going to be moving in the high southern skies. Um, moving towards, um, by the time dawn gets around, it'll be closer to that direction. So, got Mercury in the early twilight, Jupiter at dusk, Saturn, 11 to 12 p.m., uh, your local time. So, got a couple planets up. Well, that's always, that's not so bad. You're just like, eh, meh, planets in the sky, whatevs. <laughs> I don't yeah, like them. You know, meh, meh, whatevs. they're up there a lot. All right, Heather, well, uh, great show. And uh, don't forget uh, that uh, you can always find out uh, when SciBytes live by going over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We have all the shows live and release schedules there. There's also, this might be the trick if you want to try to join us live more frequently because we're always looking for more live viewers. Uh, Add that Google Calendar to your Google Calendar. And then it'll just put it on there to your time zone. But we also have a time zone converter link underneath the calendar to uh, put that in your local time. That way you can join us over at jblive.tv. It is 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Or download the show every Wednesday morning over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All right, Heather. Well, thank you for the great show. Thank you. And thank you to the chat room for joining us. And thank you, everyone out there, for downloading us. And we'll see you right back here next week.